as he took center stage, it was almost unimaginable. Only year, a few years before, this was a closed, would never be open door. <laughs> but, but here he was. The word spoken fitting. On this day, we gather because we have chosen hope over fear. <laughs> and Barack Obama's optimism continued to flow as millions listened. With hope and with virtue, let us brave once more the, the icy currents and endure whatever storms may come. And let it be said by our children's children that when we were tested, we refused to let this journey end, that we did not turn back, nor did we falter. And as he spoke, flames of hope leaped high. The long-awaited impossible had come. All because of hope. We've all been there, wanting it, needing it, a hope that a, a brokenness can be healed, that a relationship can be repaired, that a diagnosis can be defeated, or a, a child that can be rescued. In our times, that a new job may be found. The, the hope of more, the hope of, of better, and yet, we know that, that sometimes the things just don't work out as we may have hoped, as we've wanted, as, even as we've prayed. And like you, I've been there. When things haven't made sense, when answers haven't come as wanted, and in those times of confusion and bewilderment and needing, needing answers, God's reminder to us that he is my hiding place and he is my shield, my hope that he's given in his word. We're told that in Psalm 119, verse 114. To rely of our hope in God in the times that I understand and in the times that I don't because he gives us the promise of his love and the promise of his care. And as Christians, hope is at the very center of our Christian faith. Jesus coming into the light of the world, a world of darkness to bring the light that we so need, bringing life into a world of death. And with that, uh, his even a greater promise that he again is coming again when all things will be made right, when, when disappointment and pain will be no more, when, when everything in disarray becomes now made completely new. And it's this hope that is spoken again and again in Scripture that we look at today, today in the story of four friends and one man that desperately needed his friends. This man who had little reason to hope. His hope was, had disappeared when strength drained from arms and legs. And though we aren't told how the friend got to this place or when he got to this place, I think we can safely guess some things that Scripture has left unsaid. We're given the story in Mark chapter 2, and it's there I would ask you to turn. 
The story goes as this. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Many were gathered together so that there was just no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. They came, and as Luke tells us, specifically the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, it says that they came from every village of Galilee and Judea, bringing to him a a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, finding no way to bring him in, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And Luke tells us again that it was in the midst before Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, son, your, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He's, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they, the scribes and the Pharisees, questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Matthew tells us, why do you think evil? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, pick up your bed, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they, they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. We aren't told, but, but I highly doubt that the man lying paralyzed on his bed always was like this. It's more likely that there was a time that he ran with them, he played with them, he did adventures with them. Because the friendship and the loyalty that we will soon see, they're made of such things. They're made of friendship, of shared adventures and let's go for it dreams. When together, they they just took on life, nothing stopping them, nothing holding them back. But now... He was no longer part of those things. His body not allowing him to be part. Now, he just looked on, watching while they were doing. And the years that followed, they just just widened the gulf. Because they were engaged in life and he was stuck in memories. Can I prove that this is a scenario? No, I can't. Except to say that the the bond that these five shared came from connected, intersecting lives. Not the four over here and one isolated, but, but lives that had been connected. But somewhere along the line, the connected had become disconnected. And disconnection is the definition of hopelessness. For him, where the present is just endured and the future just lost and unattainable. Because this paralytic had no capacity to change his world. No amount of positive affirmations would do it. 
No self-help improvements would bring him hope. No Tony Robbins seminars or Rachel Hollis's insights would, would bring anything because the truth of his world was that he was hopelessly broken. Which brings me to, to make a few observations about hope. And the first is that hope is and lives in places of brokenness, places where hope is most needed. Places that you and I know. We've lived there. Our circumstances may be different, but, but we've, we've endured situations where hope just seems to take in flight. And yet, Scripture tells us that in the dark, we come to understand that hope, the hope that we need, has to be greater than the hope that I can well up in my own resource, that it's something that I can bring together my, my own positive thinking and positive affirmations. The prophet Isaiah observes this about the darkness sometimes that comes upon us. I will give you the treasures of darkness and riches from secret places so that you may know I am the Lord. I am the God of Israel who calls you by name, Isaiah 45, verse 3. I don't know if you saw that. But, but Isaiah says that there's darkness can bring treasures in a mysterious way mysteriously in the dark places where there seems to be little hope, in those secret places, the treasures of God, who, a God who knows us by name, they can be found in the dark places by those who search for him. Sometimes those, those, uh, those treasures come to us in a scripture that God brings to us just at the right time and in the right way and speaking a truth that we've overlooked, but all of a sudden just takes on life. Sometimes it's just a chance encounter, one of those things that just happened that God has put in our path. Sometimes it's a song that we've heard hundreds of times, but, but this time we've heard it as if it, we've never heard it before. It's just new. But often, though, when we walk through places of hopelessness and darkness, that treasure that God says is there, sometimes that treasure is rarely discovered because we can't discover it with a casual glance. Sometimes it looks more like junk than treasure, just, just throwaway junk. But God wanting to reveal over time his precious treasure an example that comes to mind, and I don't have the, the time to go into her story, is the story of a, a 24-year-old married with a young child ready to do life, and she gets hidden with a, hit with a, a brain stroke that, that just stops her in her tracks, paralyzing her and disforming her, a, a beautiful young lady, but all of a sudden disformed, and, and yet her spirit over time, more alive in her than, than any of us, most of us will ever know. I, as I said, I don't have the, the time to go into the story, but you'll see the, the link at the bottom that I would encourage you to look at called hopeheals.com. But she understood what it means to find the hope in the darkness of her world that she found a treasure that God wanted to reveal to her. 
Martin Luther King speaks of this discovery of treasure when he observed, only in the darkness can you see the stars. As noted, it's in the dark where we truly understand hope. And it's in the dark that Jesus wants to come into to transform. In the dark where we more fully understand his character as we fall into his love and fall into his care. And that's the picture of the story we just read. Shortly before, we, we see the picture of that Jesus had healed someone and the uproar that caused it made it impossible for Jesus to enter into a village and enter into his home. And so he had to retreat into desolate places, places that were told where people would come to seek him from, from every quarter. Jesus going into desolate places with, where people without hope often find themselves. The facades of everything's great, all is well in my life. They, they, they've just fallen off. They are no longer worn. But it's here in the desolate, hopeless places that Jesus comes to be found by those who earnestly will look for him. And it's here in the desolate, hopeless places where these four mat carriers have come to find Jesus. Coming because something in them tells them that this is the only place that hope is actually to be found. Jesus sees that. He recognizes that when they come close. And he commends them for their great faith. And in that picture, we're, we're given a second uh, observation about hope. And that is that sometimes hope is birthed in places of borrowed faith. That is to say that sometimes... Hope is found in places that are hard to find. We just, we just can't navigate that world. We, we, our, our world is just closed in so much that, that we can't make sense of it. When what's come at them hits like a tsunami, taking their feet out from under them, and in the immediate, their hold and our hold on anything that will make sense, almost impossible to grip. And yet, for these men, God positioned them to be faith givers, hope givers, into this life of this one who so needed it. And so, too, God will often place faith carriers, hope uh, lifters, into our life to carry us when we can't carry ourselves, taking us to Jesus speaking and living out God's truth. Seed planters, models of hope, carriers of hope, not speaking meaningless self-help observations and feel-goods, but holding us and caring us. I, I remember vividly a time when our daughter, our oldest daughter was young and, and she had a very significant case of colic. Colic to the point that we were drained of every resource. We just couldn't get any sleep and Later, our, our doctor would say to us that this was the worst case that, of colic that he'd ever seen. And we had just observed, that's what we've been trying to tell you. We had no resource left to carry it. And a pastor and his wife, seeing it and understood 
coming alongside us as they had witnessed one of the times and said, let us carry it for you because you don't have any resource to carry it. Let us pray with you and hold it for you. And so they did, and they lifted that burden. We could feel almost tangibly that burden lift off us. And that's how these four men came to Jesus, each holding a corner of a mat, each supporting the others in what they had come to do. And what they had come to do was to get to Jesus, no matter the cost, no matter the difficulty. And as we can see and will see or did see in the story, getting to Jesus was anything but straight and clear, which tells me a third thing about hope that hope rarely comes in the absence of difficulty. And when we don't understand this, we often retreat at the first sign of trouble. Our resolve weakens, our commitment to do certain actions, it it just becomes less. And that's what the four could have done as they encountered blocked doorways and locked windows. Easily could have said, we'll, we'll, we'll come back, we'll come back another day when the, the crowds aren't so great and the challenges aren't too big. But hope that is real looks past the difficulties. And here's the thing. If, if they had entered the door as they had planned, it's likely that they would have become part of the audience. But whether they would have got their friend to the feet of Jesus is a different matter altogether. And it was to the feet of Jesus that they desperately needed to go. And the interesting thing was, it was the difficulty that allowed them to do that. It was the difficulty that got them to the place where paralysis didn't have the final word a paralysis that sets in when hope is taken from us that we often want to maintain. It's not possible. There's no avenue to go down. It's just, there's no doorway to walk through. But let's be clear. The hope that Christ calls us to is to have faith in his purposes despite the difficulties. It's not always hope from the struggle. Often it is hope in the struggle that he holds us as we walk through it. His guaranteed presence that he he is with us and that he will hold us when we can't hold ourselves. God present in the pain when we suffer. God near in the things that we don't understand. His promise that is spoken that he will never, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Or his truth in Romans 8, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When hope seems to be torn away, Nothing, nothing will separate you from my love. But in those times of confusion, his love is clear. And sometimes 
We need reminders of a story of a Catherine Wolf or a Joni Erickson that, that the paralysis of body is, is far different than a paralysis of heart. Uh, I admit, I, I don't have the slightest clue and I can't imagine how hard it would be to have a paralysis of body. And yet I'm aware that there are many things that have the power to paralyze, not just physical weakening, but the sense of that we try to marshal our future together and we find it comes up short, that the, the relationships we hope were, would hold us for, and love us forever just aren't there. The things that we can't make sense of and that God says, let me walk with you in that pain. Let me be the hope that carries you when everything else is crumbled underneath. And sometimes we discover that difficulty accomplishes things that we can never have imagined. Illustration of that is some years ago, the the halibut farmers on the East Coast wanted to ship their, their supply to the West Coast, but they were having a problem. If the fish were frozen, then the fish became tasteless and not worth eating. And, and yet, if they, were, if they were sent live, again, because they were pretty sedentary in the, within their cages or in their tanks, again, the, the taste was rather lifeless until they stumbled on a, a solution and in every place they they put in a catfish because the catfish is a natural enemy of the of the uh, halibut or of the uh, codfish and because of that the codfish were constantly swimming constantly moving constantly keeping fresh and firm because the danger that threatened to destroy was the very thing that actually ultimately made them stronger and better. This isn't to say that I'm to have a wide open embrace of all the struggles that come into my life. Rather, it is a reminder to fall back and into the arms of the God who is our strength, who has promised to be our strength, to promise to turn our troubles and the things that would destroy into his good. And for the four men, the the difficulties they faced were real. Their access to Jesus was blocked. And even their workaround problems had, had, uh, solution had great difficulties. Their plan to get to Jesus was filled with risk. It meant demolition. It meant tearing down the roof of a house that wasn't theirs. It meant doing what others would never do, doing what they had no right to do. And yet, possessing a hope that whatever it took, they were going to get their friend to Jesus. They would interrupt. They would disturb. They would suffer rebuke. They would risk personal and potentially financial risk because they knew that in their desperation, they needed to get to Jesus. And they did it because of the fourth thing. They understood that hope needs to take a horizon view. 
Getting to Jesus was the only thing that mattered, no matter if it disturbed the religious, no matter if some dirt fell on those who were below and who would condemn. Because hope doesn't mean walking safe and predictable paths. Hope means going beyond what is known, beyond what is seen, and based on that, they acted. Acted knowing what Jesus would do. They, they didn't know. They didn't have assurances that Jesus would heal their man as they had hoped. But knowing that Jesus was the only one that could do what they so desperately wanted. And as they acted, they received far more than they could ever have imagined as they placed their friend at the feet of Jesus. They had seen the absolute spectacular of what Jesus wanted to do. It's interesting. Those present in that crowded room, they all had front row seats to the miraculous. <laughs> but, but all the Pharisees and scribes saw was the dirt and the clothes and a torn apart roof. And in that, they missed the miraculous. Not just the miraculous of limbs restored, which is phenomenal, but the even greater miraculous that this man's sins were forgiven, that he was given the gift of a new life. That should come as no surprise because giving new life is what God does. And God's new life will always come true. I, I can't say that dead limbs will necessarily come to life or that a disease, a disease will, will suddenly disappear or that a marriage will miraculously come together. I don't know. I, I, I know this, though, that I am 100% certain that God will give new life. And if we ever doubt that, all we need to do is return to the place of a tomb because the empty tomb shouts the answer to the day when, when hope was crushed as great as it ever would be crushed in all of earth, when hope truly was dead. But the best news of that is that place gets resurrected that hope is rebirthed out of places where death seems to have final word. And that hope tells me that despite the things that you and I face, despite the challenges, despite the heartbreaks that may come, that the God who loves us, the God who cares for us, the God who knows us by name, he is in control. He is in control during COVID. He is control in the job loss. He is in control on the diagnosis that's come. And in that place, he says, seek me, that you may know my treasure. Not the treasure of the experience, but the treasure of who I want to be to you in the dark places. In the things that we now face, and far more in the reality of what he assures is ahead, that when hope will be fully revealed, fully known, fully embraced, when everything will make sense.
Because God tells us this, when hope is nowhere near to be found. And for that, I want to take you in just to one more place. Not into a house with a torn open roof, but into a country of a people with torn torn open hearts. To go back in history into a place of Babylon where people were walking uh, with people who had been taken captive and their chance of returning to the life they had known, it was non-existent. Their future was over. Their hope was gone. It was obliterated. Every lifeline that they had held on to in the past, it had gone slack with no one holding on to the other end of the line. And, and that's what the psalmist describes in Psalm 137, verses 1 to 4. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. And there on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And the response, how, how can we sing songs of the Lord while we're in a foreign land? They were a people desperate for hope, wanting to hold on to something, anything that spoke of something better. And there were the opportunists that came alongside. They're the ones that would say, well, it won't last. It's not that that big a deal. So-called prophets that promised that all would be well, all would be good. It would be shortly changed. Prophets that God said were were deceivers. In verse 8 of Jeremiah, he would say, in 29, don't listen to your prophets because they aren't speaking for me. The point was, things were desperately dark. And yet in that darkness, hope. In the midst of the pain and the confusion, the captivity, in the seeming absence of anything to which they can grab hold on, God gives this verse, and we often latch onto the verse and don't take the context from which that verse comes. These were people that were desperately, have lost all. And Jeremiah verses 29 verse 11 says this, I, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, of plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope And in the dark, when hope seems gone, God's response, I have a plan. In the things that you and I now face, in the things that threaten to overwhelm, none of these are a surprise to his plan. They won't overturn his plan. They won't defeat his plan. They they won't call for corrections in his plan because the Lord says, Lord says, I have a plan. And that plan accounted for the darkness. It accounted for the pain. It accounted for the upheaval. It accounted for the COVID. I, the Lord, have a plan. And that means hope. Even when there seems to be no presence of hope. Because the promise of God is this, my hope is written on everything. It's written in it, around it, over it. And it's true. We may not see it. We may not understand it. We may often may not like it. But God reassures it's a plan with the future. 
Sometimes that future may be rescue. Sometimes that future may be deliverance. But there is a future. Later in Jeremiah 29, God coming to his people and says, look, plant gardens, be productive. In other words, don't sit by idly and just waiting, just twiddling your thumbs, waiting for a future of some time and some place. But the future is in God's hands. Live in the present. Do what he's called us to do. Engage now. Be a people that don't sit and bemoan, but be a people that step out and trust in his promise to follow him, to place our hope in him, in the one who says, I have a plan, I the Lord, I the Lord have a plan. Rabbi Mark Katz observed, hope is not easy. It takes courage to hope. True courage is not running into a battle knowing the outcome. It is entering a struggle knowing you could fall, but doing it anyway. Katz rightly observes that hope is not easy. It's not. But biblical hope, real hope, it's not some wish, not some maybe, but it is confidence in a certainty. The certainty that God says he will do what he says. And with Jeremiah, we can also take full assurance and trust in his promise. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. And if you need a picture to hold on to, let me give you one. Let me give you the picture of a rolled-up bed and five young men sprinting towards home, high-stepping, high-fiving, high-talking, the bed tossed to one another. <laughs> there, did, did you see it? Can you believe it? The euphoria forever changing their lives. And some words still ringing in their ears. <laughs> Your sins are forgiven you. I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. <laughs> and that bed was the only old thing that returned with them that day. On that day of discovered hope, embraced hope, rejoicing hope, what leaves me with this to ask, how about you? What will you see? Will you see falling clods of dirt? A life upset? Not happening as I thought it should? Or will I see miraculous hope where you too can experience the euphoria of sins forgiven and the celebration of high-stepping, high-five-fiving hope because it's all ours, offered to us in a sin-cleansing, forgiving, hope-giving, shed blood of Jesus on the cross. I have a future. I have a plan. And I took my plan, and I put it in such a strange place, on a cross, in a death, that forever you and I can know hope 
of a life everlasting with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, I have a hope. May that be your prayer.